You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek podcast, recorded live each Sunday at St. John's Anglican Church, Diamond Creek. This episode presented by Student Minister Sam Oldland. Starting a new series in Malachi, so it's the um, last book in the Old Testament before you tick over to the New Testament. So um, we kind of, yeah, in this story, I'm just giving you a bit of history, a bit of backstory into Malachi. Um, so the Israelites have returned from exile. Um, so these are the Israelites who were taken out of Egypt. They were rescued by God. Um, they're in exile. They've come to the promised land and they thought, great, everything's going to be awesome now. Um, But turned out they were pretty rubbish at following God. And so uh, they were pretty unfaithful um, and there was a lot of corruption among them. So, yeah, so in Malachi we kind of see how corrupt they've become. Uh, And Malachi kind of goes through a series of disputes. So these kind of conversations with God where God says, you haven't been doing great. And they go, no, we've been doing fine. What do you mean? And then God's like, this is what I mean. And so it's kind of this conversation that happens. Uh, So if you want to follow along, it's on page 778. A prophecy. The word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you ask, how have you loved us? Was not Esu Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esu I have hated. And I have turned his hill country into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land a people always under the wrath of God. You will see it with your own eyes and say, great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. A son honours his father and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honour due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me? Says the Lord Almighty. It is you priests who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Now plead with God to be gracious to us with such offerings from your hands. Will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations, from where the sun rises to where it sets, in every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me, because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it by saying the Lord's table is defiled, 
and its food is contemptible. And you say, what a burden, as you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, lame, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord. Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. That's a fun passage, huh? (laughs) It's the first uh, Sunday of Advent today. If you've been around church for a while, you might be familiar with Advent. This is a a season, um, like Lent is to Easter, Advent is to Christmas, where we uh, kind of anticipate, where we prepare for Christmas. Uh, We celebrate our waiting for uh, Jesus to come to Israel and waiting for Jesus to come a second time as well uh, when he comes to bring an end to all things. And so through Advent, we're going to be looking at Malachi, uh, and it's a perfect book for Advent because Advent is about waiting for Jesus to come, and Malachi shows us why we need Jesus to come, why it's it's worth waiting for Jesus. So I'm going to start by asking a question. How do you know if someone loves you? How do you know if someone loves you? That's an important question in our lives, isn't it? Maybe that's a question that you're asking about a particular someone at school or a particular someone in the room here. How do I know if they love me? Or maybe it's, it's, a, it's a, a deep and heart-wrenching question that you've had to ask uh, about breakdown of family relationships or the loss of someone dear to you. How do you know if someone loves you? Well, telling each other is obviously one way that we know if someone loves us. When my wife Ronnie and I were dating, uh, it took me a long time to tell her that I loved her. Uh, It took me a long time actually to ask her out as well. I think perhaps I wasn't the most courageous 18-year-old going around, but we got there eventually. Uh, I was about to go away, traveling for six months on a gap year. Uh, I'd been trying to build up the courage to tell her that I loved her for weeks. Uh, And on our last evening together before I went away, uh, she ended up getting it in before I got a chance to. Uh, And so I gave the appropriate response uh, that we all know what to say when someone says that to you. There's a a line from the musical Oliver Twist. I don't know if anyone's seen Oliver Twist. I remember seeing it when I was a kid and there was this line that really stuck in my brain. There's there's a character who's a a low-life criminal called Bill and he's got a long-suffering partner called Nancy and she's desperate for his affection and and his validation and uh, Nancy says to Bill, Bill you do love me don't you and Bill kind of scowls and growls back at her, of course I love you, I live with you don't I? I remember that and thinking that that is not the kind of expression of love uh, that we should see in, in a loving relationship right? Another way we might know that someone loves us is through uh, giving gifts or gestures that demonstrate someone's love for us. In a couple of weeks at Christmas, we'll do that for people in our lives that we love. We'll give and receive gifts as expressions of love with one another. Or maybe you know someone loves you because of what they do for you, the way that they serve you, the things that they give up for you. There are lots of ways that we might experience and that we might show love to someone. And it, it, that, that really matters to us, don't, doesn't it? 
if we experience love and if we show love. That's an important part of who we are. If we're not sure about someone's love for us or our love for them, that's a big, a big question. That's a big issue. And today in Malachi, that's the big question, the big issue that we're faced with. There's a big question about whether God loves his people and whether they love him. And these are the two big questions that we're going to ask as we work through these verses in Malachi 1. In this passage, these questions are for the whole nation of Israel, but they're equally for all of us together and each of us individually in our relationships with God. If you're a Christian, maybe it seems like a redundant question to ask, does God love me? Maybe that seems obvious to you. But for God's people here, it's not at all. So how have they got to this point? How have God's people got to the point of questioning God's love for them? Well, that's where Malachi comes in. As Lenny explained to us before, Malachi was a prophet. A prophet, someone who speaks the words of God on God's behalf to his people. And Malachi was speaking to people who had turned away from God again. It's the very last book in the Old Testament, coming after all these centuries and centuries of God caring for his people, loving his people. He rescued them from Egypt. He gave them the promised land. He gave them the law. He gave them kings. He protected them. He rescued them. He loved them over and over and over again. And how do the people respond to that God who, who has loved them so faithfully for so long? Well, sometimes they love him back. Sometimes after God rescues them from an enemy, they, they worship God for a while, even for a generation. Sometimes they have a good leader who encourages them to worship God. But more often than not, they ignore God. They betray God. They reject God, the one who loves them. And so God's word for these people who he loves is full of frustration and anger and sadness. And how many times they've responded to his love with, with scorn and rejection. And yet, God's word is full of hope. It's full of God's faithfulness. It's full of good news. And like Lenny said, this book, Malachi, takes the form of a series of conversations, kind of to and fro's between God and his people. And today we're looking at the first conversation in this letter, uh, in this prophecy rather. And it starts with God telling his people that he has loved them. So have a look in your Bible there at verse 2. I have loved you, says the Lord. It's a declaration of love from God to his people. It's like those three little magic words that I tried to say to Ronnie and she said to me. And in that moment when Ronnie said those three little words to me, I knew what the appropriate response is, right? What the reply is to that. If someone says, I love you, to you, is the appropriate response to say, thanks? No, I can see a couple of nodding heads. <laughs> so, 
some real life experience going on. <laughs> if someone says, I love you, is the proper response to say, awesome, cheers? No, it's not. There's a very set, appropriate, fitting response to that remark, isn't there? I love you too is what we're supposed to say if someone says, I love you. When I was a little kid, every morning uh, when Dad would leave for work, my sister and I, we would run uh, to the window in our lounge room and we'd press ourselves up against the window as Dad walked from the door to his car. And before he got in his car, every morning he'd turn around and he'd look up at us in the window uh, and he'd, he'd, he'd do this, he'd go... I love you. And we, in response, would go, I love you too. It was a really nice little kind of routine, a a ritual that we had in our day, uh, expressing love for one another. So here's a question. Is that the kind of moment that God and his people have here? No. They don't respond with, I love you too. They they respond with, with disbelief. And questioning. They say, how have you loved us? They're saying, prove it. Like they don't really believe him that he loves them. The God who made them out of dust and rescued them from Egypt and gave them promised land and blesses them a thousand times. How have you loved us? And God replies graciously, patiently, I've loved you by choosing you. You, specifically you, out of all the nations on the earth, I chose you to be my special people, to know me and represent me in all the earth. And my dad used to say something a bit like this as well, actually. My siblings and I, maybe you've done the same, we used to love to play a game where we'd we'd run up to him and ask him, Dad, who do you love the most? Which, Which is a pretty high-risk game when you think about it, because there's three of us, and we were all pretty confident that we were the one, uh, but there's no way that that could have possibly happened. And every time we'd run up to Dad and say, Dad, who do you love the most? And he'd say, I love you all, but I love Mum the most. Which was the incorrect answer, but (laughs) that's what he said. (laughs) And he'd say, I love you all, but I love Mum the most because I chose Mum. It was a really... um, significant answer that he gave to that question. And here God is saying something a bit like that about his people. He's showing Israel that he loves them by the fact that he's chosen them. From verse 2 to verse 5 there, he goes on to explain that he's loved them by choosing them in the person of Jacob over Esau. If you've been around church for a while, you might have heard of these guys. God chose Jacob over Esau, not because of anything that Jacob had done, but as an expression of God's love for him. He showed his love by choosing him, even though he didn't really deserve it. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, it says to all of God's people Israel, God has chosen you out of all the nations of the earth to be his own. The Lord did not give you his love and choose you because you were more people than any of the nations, for the number of your people was less than all nations. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping his promise that he made to your fathers. So the Lord brought you out by a strong hand. He set you free from the land where you were servants and from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. 
Know then that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God. He keeps his promise and shows his loving kindness to those who love him and keep his laws, even to a thousand family groups in the future. God showed Israel a thousand times that he loves them. Really, really loves them. The God of the Bible isn't just some distant deity who sits in heaven and keeps the earth ticking. No, he's, he's a close and a caring father. He's a loving shepherd. And I want us to know, I want you to know, that God loves you like that. The God in heaven, the one who hung the stars in the sky and filled the oceans, he loves you. He celebrates when you do. He grieves when you're hurt. He holds you in his love. He guides you and grows you and trains you like a parent with a child. He leads you by his spirit. Lots of people, maybe some of us in the room, struggle to know that God loves us. We struggle to really believe that. If that's you, you're not alone. That's what Israel seems to be experiencing here, isn't it? How have you loved us, they say. There are lots of reasons why you might struggle to believe that God loves you. Maybe you're ashamed of things that you've done or things that you're doing and you feel unlovable. Maybe you haven't experienced safe and faithful love from people in your life. And so your expectation for love is broken. And it's hard to see how God could be different to anyone else who has loved you, supposedly loved you, but hurt you. Or maybe you find it hard to see that the evidence that God loves you. You sit in church and you don't really feel anything. Other people seem to have something going on in their hearts that you just don't quite have. Maybe you used to have, but not anymore. Or you read your Bible at breakfast or you try to pray and, and you just don't feel God's love. If that's you, if you're like Israel here asking, does God really love me? Then I want you to hear me say that there is a certain and unequivocal and overwhelming answer to your question. If your question like these people is, does God love me? Then Jesus Christ is the answer to your question. And the answer is yes. God loves you and he loves all of us so much that he gave his only son. God didn't have to become a human. God didn't need us. But he wanted us because he loves us. And he loves us so much that he became one of us. Not only does God show you his love in the birth of Jesus that we celebrate at Christmas, he shows you his love in the death of Jesus at Easter as well. When Jesus, who lived a perfect and sinless life, was crucified and killed, he did that in, in your place, taking the punishment that you deserve. I don't know what could be a grander gesture of love than that. Jesus left heaven for you and he died for you. God does love you, I promise you, even if you struggle to feel it. I know it because whether you feel it or not, it doesn't change the fact that God sent Jesus as the greatest act of love that has ever been shown.
greater than any wedding ring or Christmas gift or anything else. If you don't know whether God loves you, the answer is in Jesus, and the answer is yes. So let's consider the rest of our verses uh, and ask the question, do I love God? Maybe this is your question. Not does God love me, but do I love God? Be real with yourself, uh, with me for a minute here. How would you answer that question for yourself right now in your life? Are you someone who loves God or not? You might not love God because you don't believe in God, right? Just under a third of Australians in the last census said that they don't believe in any God. 32%. It's about 8 million people. If that's you, if you don't love God because you don't believe in God, I want to be really honest with you. You are in danger. God is abounding in love and he longs for you to come into relationship with him, to be his child. But if you don't, if you continue to ignore God, reject God, disdain God, then one day when you die or he comes back, you will stand before him. And he will name your sin like he does for Israel here. And instead of enjoying his presence and his joy forever, you'll be banished into darkness far from him. That's the worst place to be. Because even if, even if you choose not to love God, that doesn't mean that you're not accountable to him. You know, in Australia, we have laws, right? And you can't just choose to not obey the laws, to not subscribe to the law. You can't say, well, look, I know that some people follow the law and that's good for them, but I'm going to do my own thing. So I'm going to treat people how I want. I'm not going to pay my taxes or obey the speed limits. Uh, I'm going to take what I want to take. You, you can't do that, right? The law is there over you, whether you like it or not. And if you're exposed for breaking the law, you will be punished for it. And you can't just choose to ignore God or pretend that you're not accountable to him. He's the king of the universe. He's the beginning and the end. He is the judge of all people, including you. This passage says several times, verse 5, verse 11, verse 14, the God of the Bible is the Lord. He is great among the nations and his name is to be honoured by all people. So maybe you don't love God that way. Or maybe you are a Christian, you do believe in God, but the way that you live, the decisions that you make, what's in your heart, doesn't really reflect love for God. That's what's going on for these people. Perhaps you're like these Israelites. They say that they're God's people, right? They're still rocking up to the temple. They're still making sacrifices. But they're not bringing their best. They're bringing their leftovers. For these people, making sacrifices of animals was a way to show God their devotion, their commitment to him. Not because God has a bloodlust, but as a demonstration 
that God is the most important and valuable thing, more important and valuable than even the best of your wealth. And God promised that when people worshipped him in this way, he would provide for them far more than what they gave up. So their demonstration of love for God was met with a greater demonstration of God's love for them. But these guys, these Israelites in Malachi's day, they were bringing sick animals, lame goats, diseased lambs. They promised to give God their best and instead they gave him their leftovers. Maybe that's where you're at. You believe in God, but you're not really willing to sacrifice your best to live for him and to love him. You know, for us, it doesn't look like sacrificing goats, but Jesus calls us to sacrifice everything that we have, to give everything that we have to follow him. Are you giving God your best or your leftovers? You know, a few short years before this passage takes place, God's people had returned from exile in Babylon. God had demonstrated his love as he rescued them from that terrible experience. And they had faith, which was vibrant and overflowing and consuming. They celebrated God. They treasured God's words. They worshipped him together. And then they slipped all too quickly from love and devotion to ritualism, to going through the motions. Aren't we all too quick to find ourselves in that same trap? Just going through the motions in our faith, going through the motions at church, without showing God love in our hearts or in our lives. Perhaps for you today, this is a question with which you should examine your own heart. Do I love God? There are a couple of diagnostic questions that you could ask to, to try and understand the answer to that for you. Does my, does my lifestyle reflect a love for God? The way that I live, the things that I do, does that reflect a love for God? Do my words reflect love for God? And does my heart, my emotions reflect love for God? What does Jesus say is at the heart of being a Christian? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. If you're realizing that maybe you don't love God like you want to, or you used to but not anymore, you can have some time later where you can uh, pray with someone about that. That would be a wonderful thing to pray about, to invite God, to, to kindle and nurture in your heart love for him. Ultimately, though, the answer to that question, do I love God? The answer is Jesus himself. The way to love God more is to know and love Jesus more. To understand the great love that Jesus has shown for you. To trust Jesus and the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, will transform your heart and conform your life to love God with everything that you have. Here's, here's what to remember. Jesus Christ is the answer to every big question. 
At the end of the Old Testament here in Malachi, God's people still aren't loving him back like he loves them. It's a big, unresolved question. What is God going to do with these stubborn people? And when Israel and maybe some of us, when we don't know whether God really loves us, that's a big, important question. How can I actually know whether God loves me or not? And when Israel and some of us don't love God, when that relationship is broken or we take him for granted, that's a big, important question. Do I love God? And what's God going to do with people who don't love him? And the answer to every big question, every big question of the Old Testament and of your life and of the world, it isn't a philosophy It isn't a lifestyle. The answer to every big question is a small child lying in a manger with animals around and a star overhead. Jesus Christ, born in Bethlehem, is the answer to every big question. Because when Jesus was born in that manger, he wasn't just another human being, was he? Jesus is God himself, God taking on human flesh. After thousands of years of God sending rescuer after rescuer to his people, God comes himself as the ultimate, the final rescuer. Jesus shows us what it looks like to live with perfect love for God, the kind of life that you live when you love God with everything that you have. And he calls us to follow him, to be like him, to live that kind of life. A life that's ruled and controlled by love for God. Jesus is the answer to the question of whether God loves us. The love of God expressed in Jesus' birth and life and death and resurrection is the greatest demonstration of love that there has ever been. Greater love has no one than this. If you don't love God like these people didn't love God, then you're faced with a big question, and the answer is Jesus. If you want to know why it's worth loving God, look at Jesus. If you want to know what it looks like to love God, look at Jesus. Look at the life he led loving God completely. Look at his terrible death on the cross as proof of how much he loves you and how much he's willing to bear to bring you back to him. Jesus is the answer to every big question and he shows us God's love. If God shows us this much his love for us, what can we do but show love back to him with everything that we have? I'm going to pray that we would do that. God, thank you that you show your love for us a thousand times every day. And thank you that you show your love for us most wonderfully and completely in Jesus. Thank you that we can know that you love us. And we pray, God, that you would kindle and nurture love for you in our hearts, in this moment and every day. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you've got any questions about this podcast, connect with us on our website, 
stjohnsdc.org.au or at facebook.com slash stjohnsdc. Don't forget, you can join us live in Diamond Creek every Sunday at 9.30am and 6pm.